0: let's get into the Word. You got your sermon section out. You got uh, the app out. You can look on the sermon section there if you will. Please don't be doing anything else with your phone. <laughs> Just the sermon app if you want to. I'm preaching a series on life principles. Also call this 10 keys to success. And I'm not talking about success as in what the way the world defines it. I'm talking about success as in God defines it. I began talking to you about the integrity principle, about how when all parts of our life are brought together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we have allowed ourselves to be molded into the image and likeness of Christ where there's not stuff in there that's contradicting us. then lastly, we talked about God's prerogative, where God has access to everything we call ours, and God's priority, where we put Him over everything that we call ours. And today, I want to talk to you about the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship. It's one of those principles that helps us understand what it is that God wants us to do to gain credibility with Him. So stewardship is credibility that we have gained that basically says to us, or says to those who are watching us, that we are a person who does not waste. We are a person who does not mismanage stuff. Stewardship works like this. God gives us something small. We manage it well, and then he gives us something bigger. He said that in Luke chapter sixteen, verse ten. Whosoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little can also will also be dishonest with much. So credibility is what we gain when we are good stewards with whatever it is that God has given us. Do you know how to get a really big blessing from God? Manage a small blessing well. You know how to really get in a position where God can use you in great ways? Do not so great things well for Him. Say so amen. Amen. All right, I'm getting used to a new headset here, so if I'm, if I'm distracted, forgive me. Pray for me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1-2, so then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, those who have been entrusted, and we could use the word a stewardship, those who have been given a stewardship with the secret things of God. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove. Faithful Right now, I believe that God is looking at my life and he 's looking at what He has entrusted to me, and he 's deciding whether or not I have the credibility for him to increase what it is that he 's entrusting me with. Did that make any sense? God is looking at my life and trying to decide do I have the credibility with Him to be entrusted with even more now with that kind of foundation there, I want to give you and Since the deacons took up some of my time, I'm going to have to shorten this. I'm editing. editing. I'm just messing with them. Um, Stewardship. I want to talk to you about the seven kingdoms of our lives. Seven areas that we need to manage well to be considered a good and faithful servant. First of all, there is our physical bodies. And they all said, oh, no. We are managers of our spiritual bodies. He said, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies, what is it? Your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, what he's saying is when I am managing my physical body well, my body becomes a living sacrifice so that in that point, God is using me to do something with this physical body that really makes a difference. This is why Paul said, For me to live is what? Christ. For me to live is Christ. My whole physical body is about Christ. This is why Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 6, to the men of Corinth, he said, When you go to those pagan temples, don't you know that you are taking the body, the soma of Christ, into that filth? In other words, stay away from hooters. Just let that sit there a minute. He said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, at t- sometimes I use his body as representative of the church, but here he's using it as they, that physical body, your, your physical body. He says to the guys, don't go down to that temple where there's prostitution going on because your body is a temple of the living God. Don't go down there and, and join yourself to that. I'm trying to eat better. So far, I'm just eating more. I'm trying to exercise, but, head gummit. <laughs> you wake up early and head to the gym. You get to that crossroad, it's either the donut shop on the left or the gym on the right. And I know I, I need to be a, a better steward of my physical body. But the true measure of stewardship of the physical body is what is taking place through the physical body. It's what's happening through the physical body. I want to be able to say, God, this body, as unimpressive as it might be, is a living sacrifice, it has been made holy and acceptable by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is my spiritual act of worship, that I take this body and I said, Lord, I surrendered this body to do Your work. Come on. That's stewardship. I surrender this body to do Your work. This body will be about You. This physical body will do something spiritual so that something eternal is happening through this temporal vessel of clay. Amen? All right, let's move on to your mind. He says, number two, our minds do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, he says, my my world is, is, is shaping my mind. My culture is shaping my mind. My television is shaping my mind. My Internet activity is shaping my mind. He said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind. He uses the word in the original language, scolios. Scolios. You ever know somebody had scoliosis? What is scoliosis? It's curvature of the spine. You know why your spine curves? It's because the world is pulling on you. You don't realize it, but it's pulling on you. You see, a person who's walked this planet long enough, what happens? They start to slump toward the earth. Because the earth has been pulling on them for decades. I remember I stopped at a crosswalk one time. This older gentleman walked across and it was like everything in him was being drawn to the earth, you know. And and when I looked at him, I thought, wow. Fallen, fallen. Babylon has fallen, you know. Everything is, is being bent toward the earth. So... Without realizing it, spiritually, there is this bending going on. I'm being bent toward my world, toward my culture, toward its philosophies, toward its worldview. And when Paul said, but be ye transformed, in other words, be bent the other way. So that you are opposite of your world. You're different from your world. And that's, I do that through the transforming of my mind. The renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will. That when I'm being bent away from the world, listen, by the renewing of my mind, I am able now to test and approve and demonstrate what the will of God is. As long as I'm being conformed to the world, I cannot demonstrate the will of God. But when I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind, I am being bent away from the world. I don't think like the world, my priorities are not like the world. Now I'm beginning to show what. God's purpose is and not the world. Are you listening? Are you? Any attempt to truly change your life to be more pleasing to God will begin with a transformation of your mind. If you just try to change your conduct, it's like I often say your willpower can't even resist the donut. How in the world is it going to resist sin? So there's going to be a, a bending away from the world that is happening spiritually. This is why, friends, that you've got it. We've got to get out of this religious ritual of devotions. Well, you, I'm glad you do devotions, but if if your devotions are a time when you sit down and read a few pages and and you check a box that says now I did my devotions for the day. That's not going to do much. What's going to do much is not that you read a few things and now you won't feel bad when the preacher talks about having a daily prayer life the next time. But you need to have an encounter. I need to have an encounter with God. That's what devotion is. That, that's what really happens is when there is a spiritual encounter with God so that I am being bent by the Holy Spirit away from the world. It is transforming my mind. There are things I physically won't touch because they are so unclean and so vile. I feel a story coming on on you. When's the last time it was a hot July day and there was a roadkill laying there that had been there a few days? And you got up and you picked it up and you sniffed it and you laid it in your back seat and said, I think I'll haul this around for a while. Anybody? Why? It is so unclean that you cannot imagine touching it. Hello? I want to tell a story now. It's going to get me in a little bit of trouble. Not with my wife, but I have a reputation around my family as not the greatest babysitter that ever was. I mean, I have pulled grandkids out of the hot tub ankle first, you know. Um, They just sort of walk off in it, you know. The only grandkid that ever fell in the pond fell on my watch. So, I don't know, you know. But anyway, I was watching a little guy one time. He was just tall enough, I think I can say this in church, just tall enough to see over the urinal into the into the urinal. And so, We went into a public restroom, he and I. It never dawned on me that I needed to watch this kid at a public restroom. But the next thing I know, he goes, wow, look. And he runs to a urinal and grabs a urinal block. And he comes carrying a urinal block to me. I was mortified. And I will never babysit again. You you, you know, I won't get the opportunity again. But I remember I, I grabbed both his hands and we walked back to the urinal and I shook his hands till they fell loose and the blocks fell back in there. And then I spun him around and I said, Do you realize how dirty that is? He said, What? And then I took him over to the sink again. I wouldn't let him touch anything. I had his arms, I had him locked down. And I pulled him up and set him down. And I turned the water and it scalded his hand. No, I didn't. I, I you know. I dumped antibacterial soap all over his hands and scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. Then we went back to the urinal and I said, don't ever touch that again. It's terribly gross and it's, it's all kinds of filthy. When's the last time, guys, you walked into a urinal and said, I wonder what that is. They might need another one of those. Because it is so incredibly unclean, you wouldn't touch it. There are things that are so incredibly unclean that your mind needs to stay away from them. There are things so incredibly toxic that you cannot manage your mind well and let your mind touch that. Tell me you're getting this. I've got to be careful... Because my mind has two natures in conflict. My mind has a nature that has been redeemed. And as the Apostle Peter says, I have been made a partaker of his divine nature when I was born again. So there's part of me that is a partaker of the divine nature. And that part of my mind has lofty goals. And there's another part of me that has been touched by the fall of man. And it wants to go the wrong way. And I have to be careful and you have to be careful What you allow your mind to touch. You have to be careful. I want to be careful that I don't let my mind sit and stew on bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and jealousy and greed. I can't let that stuff hover in my mind. I've got to say, God, sanctify my mind. Clean that stuff out. I want to I'm in a a pattern right now, and I don't know if this is a lifetime pattern or what, but just recently I I really discovered the power of YouTube to do good. So I found that now... Every time I'm alone and I'm not having to use my mind in my office, let's say I've stopped to have a sandwich or have something, I'll load up somebody on YouTube that I I enjoy hearing their teaching. And I want to hear that because at the time my mind is being fed while I'm having lunch and I'm hearing something that changes my mind a little bit in the right direction. There's a molding going on in the right direction, moving in the right direction. You see, stewardship of the mind guards against filth. It guards against doubt. I don't allow doubt to settle in there and question my God all the day long. And when I start feeling that doubt coming, and I go, "That's too unclean for my mind to dwell on that. I'm going to start dwelling on the right things about God, the faith things about God. I'm not going to let my mind touch the filth of bitterness and unforgiveness and the lack of grace. I'm going to say, "God, give my mind grace-filled thoughts. Give my mind faith-filled thoughts." Listen, that's stewardship. Hello? That's stewardship. Number three, stewardship of our money. Jesus said, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Isn't that weird? And they all said, do you see what he's saying? That before God decides how much of his spiritual wealth he'll let me manage, he looks at how I'm managing financial wealth. What are you guys getting quiet for? He looks at how I'm managing finances to decide whether or not he can trust me with the true riches of the kingdom. Now, I want to take a few moments, and we're just going to have so much fun. I'm going to have so much fun at your expense. I want to give you some myths. These are not in your notes. You can scribble them down. Surely someplace I'll know there's a place to write something down. There are some myths about stewardship that I'd like to dispel in the few minutes I have left this morning. Are you ready? They said, you ready? Myth number one. And please get this. Stewardship is about what we do with God's 10%, the tithe. That's a myth. Stewardship is about what we do with God's 10%, the tithe. That's a myth. That's not true. A lot of times when you say, I'm going to preach on stewardship, oh, it's a giving sermon. No. Stewardship is not about the 10% we give to God. Stewardship is about how we manage 100% of what we get. Hello? Hello? It's about how we manage everything that God gives us, stewardship of money. It's not about what you put in the offering plate. I mean, it begins there, but it really is about how much do you go home with and what do you do with what you go home with. So myth number one is stewardship is about 10%. No, stewardship is about 100%. It's about how you're managing all of the financial resources that God gives you. I'll move on if you'll say amen. Myth number two, if I give to his work, God isn't concerned about the rest of my financial life. <laughs> you know, I did that God part, so God is not worried about the rest of it. The Bible says that taking care of financial needs of your family is essential to the Christian walk. You know that 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Again, I know this is extra. It's not in your notes. If a man does not provide for his own, he's talking about finances there, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. That's not about 10%. That's about the other 90%. Hello? It's, stewardship is, what do I do? Yeah, yeah, certainly, I need to invest in God's work, right? Let's don't undermine that for a moment. But what am I going to do? Because God has put a spiritual responsibility on me to take care of the financial needs of my family. And if I'm spending 110% of my income, I'm being a really bad steward and I'm putting my family in great financial danger. Somebody finish my sentence. Danger. I... uh, my wife and I have been married 38 years. And for chapters in that 38 years, things were very difficult financially. It seems like that most of the time God sent us into a a work where there was a hurting church. So we just had to go in there. Many times we had to find another source of income and, and try to build the body up and, until it got able to support a staff. But I'm telling you, and I, nobody bribed me to say this. But I always took it a very strong responsibility on me that if the Lord took me out, if I didn't get to live a ripe old age, I still wanted to take care of my family. So I always had enough life insurance, even when it really was tough, that my wife and my kids would have a debt-free home. All the bills would be paid because I saw that as good stewardship. I would hate to think that my wife and kids were in, when they were mourning my death, which we know that would be devastating for 20 years. I mean, they they would be grieving for decades over that. I, wanted, I felt like it's my responsibility, God put this responsibility on me, to make sure that my wife and my kids financially had something. They had a place to live, you know. They didn't have a bunch of bills they were trying to pay. I saw that not as something I did for the insurance business. I did that as a steward of my financial responsibility. And friends, maybe you're not in this boat. And more and more, when I sit down with 20-something-year-olds that are going through premarital counseling, and I get ready to give them the speech, here are the evils of credit card debt. They stop me and go, no, 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 we don't do that. And I go, thank God. I don't have to dig you out of that hole, you know. But some of us have fallen in that trap of racking up massive amounts of consumer debt, and we're paying, you know, 19, 20, 30% interest on it, and it's killing us financially, and it is the epitome of poor stewardship. Amen? So, myth number two if I give to God's work, He isn't concerned, He is concerned. It's all His. Are you, are you taking these notes? You ready for myth number three? Guys, we've got to hurry. The chiefs are going to kick off in a minute. Just kidding. We're not going to worship at that idol until 1201. Myth number three, if I give to God, he will keep me out of financial trouble. That's kind of, I call that the tithing superstition. If I give God a tithe, I will stay out of financial trouble. I'm going to to bust that myth. Even if you tithe, you can mismanage your finances right into bankruptcy. Because God, listen, God will not give you more than you can waste. Hello? You still have to manage it well. You still need to have your priorities financed. Myth number four. God giggles at my financial irresponsibility. We make jokes about it. God giggles at my financial. God knows how on spend spendthrift I am. But the truth is, when God gets ready to trust me with something, when God gets ready to trust you with something, He looks at your financial management. That's what He said. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He said, if, if you can't take a few dollars and handle it responsibly and with maturity and and take care of it the way it should be, why would I give you the spiritual wealth and ask you to take care of it? You wouldn't take care of it either. So God doesn't giggle at my irresponsibility. Now, that doesn't mean I can't spend money just to enjoy it, because the Bible says that He's given me all things for my enjoyment. So sometimes when the budget is right and the blessing is right, you can spend money just to have fun. Aren't you glad? But you don't spend your grocery money. And you don't risk your family's solvency on that kind of stuff. Whew, that was a rough one, wasn't it? You guys sold right up on that one. Let's go to number four real quickly. Our influence. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, in other words, Whatever it is that you're about, wherever you're doing tomorrow morning, wherever you're going all week long, do it in the name of the Lord. And see, when you do it in the name of the Lord, you're doing it on behalf of the Lord. I dare you, I dare you to start leaving spiritual trace evidence everywhere you go. For those of you who watch Forensic Files, you know what that means spiritual trace evidence. May it be said that the people that you encounter this afternoon, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, there's a little of Jesus been sort of rubbed off on them. Something about Christ is rubbed off on them. Don't you love it? Don't you just love it when someone asks you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? It's because Jesus loves you. And he has put it on my heart to do this. You're a manager of your influence. You're a manager of how you touch people. You're a manager of how you engage with people. I had a severe case of separation anxiety when I was little. I was the baby of the family. How many babies of the family do we have out there? <laughs> How many of you were joined to mama's apron strings? And it was traumatic. And I, I've said before, you know, when, I, when my mom sent me to school, it was a very traumatic event. She would zip my coat up and the teacher would try to take it off and I wouldn't let her. Because I felt like she had zipped some of herself up in my coat. I'd be sitting in class sweating. And I, w- I mean, I would throw an unholy fit if they tried to take my coat off because mama was in my coat. She- I had a, a, severe, a severe case of separation anxiety. And, you know, I always remember in my life there was a teacher that began to greet me every morning with a hug and she'd set me up on her lap and she'd just love on me a little bit. Her name was Ann Martin. To this day, every once in a while I bump into Anne. She's all changed <laughs> she's retired, you know now. I saw her at her funeral, my uncle's funeral a few years ago, and I went up and I hugged Anne. And I said, You'll never know What you meant to a kid with severe separation anxiety. I got off the bus and I ran to Miss Martin. And she hugged away the anxiety. She left trace evidence and she was a believer. It was very obvious that she was a believer. And her mission was to love on me in the name of Jesus. You never know what your influence will do to people who are suffering. Got to move. Our time. The Bible says make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know what? Let me hit overdrive here. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I've often wondered why is that word there? Why why doesn't it say make the most of every opportunity because the days are numbered? Wouldn't that make more sense? Or or make the most of every opportunity because the days are running out. But he doesn't. He said the days are evil. And when I look at this, I think, The days are evil. Maybe it means this. I suspect it means this. Make the most of every opportunity because there's so much evil to confront that you'll never get it all confronted in their lifetime. There's so many things to do. You'll never get it all done. So make the most of every opportunity. So I'm managing my time. I'm a steward of my time. And in this time, what I'm actually doing is I'm confronting evil by the power of God in me. I'm never going to get it all confronted in a single lifetime. So I definitely don't want to miss any opportunities. Don't kick into neutral. There's too much to do. There's too much darkness. There's too many people struggling. Number six, right? (laughs) Our spiritual gifts. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. To me, this is one of those verses that's always blown my mind. Each one should use whatever gift he's received. God has put a spiritual gift in me. And here's the miracle of that, and here's the thing that blows my mind, that He gave me control over it. There is a gift from Almighty God that has been deposited in my spirit, and now I have control over it. How do I know I have control over it? Because He says, use it! Use it! And so He says, He's put this gift in me, now He says, use this gift to dispense the grace of God. You are If you are a genuine believer, the Bible says you have been given spiritual gifts. And that you are to use them to dispense God's grace. And what's the consequence of bad stewardship of spiritual gifts? Is that God's grace doesn't get dispensed. When I am not using my spiritual gifts, there's grace that's not being given out. What a tragedy. If you decide not to use it, if you decide not to be a good steward of it, then there's so much grace that will never flow out of your life. Friends, if there's anything I could tell you today about this, please lock down and get serious with God and say, God, in what ways have you gifted me so that I can faithfully dispense your grace to my world? Whew. And here we are, number seven, the gospel. Your personal witness. He said, we speak as men. Approved by God, their stewardship, to be entrusted with the gospel. Wow. The most valuable thing in all of human creation. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests the heart. Ponder this for a moment entrusted with the gospel. Imagine for a moment that I handed you a little vial, a little test tube that was sealed. And I said, in this vial, there's a cure to cancer. Now, go find someone who needs it. Can you imagine how valuable that would be? Would you walk across a concrete floor throwing it up and catching it? No. You would take it and you'd tuck it away and you'd guard it because this is life. Or death. I've got to get this to cancer patients. You have been given that vial. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You carry it around with you. And people have a terminal illness called sin. And you have an antidote for sin in your very life. Are you going to manage it well? And watch this real quickly, and I promise I'm I'm wrapping up. We are not trying to please men, but God. The fundamental statement of stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not trying to please people, but trying to please God. You see, the world, it's a mystery. They despise. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the unredeemed world, the, the unregenerate culture despises. Do you remember years ago when the Passion of the Christ came out? And everybody was going, oh, it's too violent. And I thought, are you kidding me? All the violence. That, and you're, you're complaining about this violence when you've got all this other junk out there. That's so, but why? And I sat there and I watched news and I watched people condemning this movie, which basically portrayed the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it occurred to me that this message is hated by all those under the influence of darkness because it is so powerful. If you were there with us, we sat in the theater when it was over in stunned silence. Just going, wow. Wow. The world was attacking and the church was being reminded of the suffering that Jesus went through. So you and I could be saved and healed. Well, sometimes there are things that are certain. You know, you don't have to worry. And like I said, when I began this series, there's a lot of people who just kind of act like success happens if I get lucky. No, success happens when you put yourself in the right place with the right plan. And I'm telling you, friends, if I know anything about the Word of God, I'm telling you that stewardship is critical to success as God defines it. Stewardship. And like I say, I sat down and I did all these studies and I listened to these. You are managing right now seven kingdoms at least in your life. I, I took those seven and I gave them to you like an automatic weapon going off, did Bang, 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 bang. Here it is. So... Now, I've got to do something really dangerous. i just got to give it to you and say, do something with this. Do something with this. The reason we give you notes is because I kind of have a theory that you need to think about it after church. You need to think about it tomorrow night and Tuesday night and on through the week so that God does something in your life. At the end of the line, Jesus said it's going to go something like this. To some people, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to some people, they'll say, wow, you blew it. I want to be in that group, don't you? Where he says, well done. I gave you some stuff and you managed it well. Amen. Now, the question is, are you there now? Or today do you need to say, God, I'm not a very good manager. I'm, I'm not a very good steward. But I've been given some tools today. And I'm turning over a new leaf. And I'm going to start managing my life. Because someday I want to hear a voice ring out from the throne. Well done, good and faithful steward <laughs> servant. Well done. You did it right. You managed your life well. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Stand with me, please. Real short and sweet here. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Pray with me. Lord, at times I have taken bad stewardship to all new levels. I've squandered opportunities. I've wasted resources. I haven't done it right. But I want those times to end today. I want to be a good steward of the seven kingdoms of my life. I don't want to mismanage another day do not want to mismanage another opportunity. Today, I want to do it right. So Father, forgive me and help me to manage what you've entrusted to me very well. Guide me. Help me take what I have learned today and apply it and do good things. As everyone's praying, I just want to pray this with you as well. If you came this way today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray something like this. Jesus, my life is being wasted. You put me on this planet for a purpose. You want to walk with me. You want me to be your son or your daughter. Right now, it's not happening. So, Lord, today, by faith, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Take them all and nail them to the cross. And hear me, Lord. I receive you as Lord and Savior. Write my name in your book and walk with me as my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we need to help you get started. Please, stop by tell me. Tell a deacon, tell someone. We've got some some beginning steps for you. Amen hey, we'll be back next week with the next part of the Academy Successful Series. Amen. So uh, hug some necks, shake some hands, see you later.